Good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow. I'm the pastor of Mercy Hill Church. What you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of God's Word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. As we begin this morning... As I was studying this week, I was reminded uh, of a sermon that on April 12th, 1857, Charles Spurgeon, on Easter Sunday, stepped into his pulpit at the New Park Street Church and preached a sermon entitled Spiritual Resurrection. There was a sermon on the text Ephesians 2.1 that speaks of, of how Christians before Christ are dead in their sins. And he opened his sermon in a peculiar way, asking the audience to ponder the realities of death. And he said this. He said, The thought is overwhelming that soon this body of mine must be a carnival for worms. And then after describing the realities of physical death, he told his congregation, quote, Now endeavor as well as you can, to get the idea of a corpse. And when you have so done, please understand that this is the metaphor employed in in my text to set forth the condition of your soul by nature. And undoubtedly, on Easter Sunday, that was a strange way for him to begin. But it sets us up this morning to speak of resurrection quite nicely because this morning we approach a text where Jesus approaches a grave. He approaches a tomb. And he approaches a man whose body had become, like Spurgeon said, a carnival for worms. A man who had no breath, no physical life left in him. And Jesus raised him. And in this story, we catch this glimpse, this this glimpse of our own spiritual death and, and subsequently this great spiritual life that we have in Christ. And so as a way of review, if, you, if you've been with us in John chapter 11, we've seen this story unfold and how Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus' sisters, they sent to Jesus and they, they said, your friend Lazarus, Lazarus is ill. And Jesus chose not to go to Lazarus. He says in verse 4 of chapter 11, the illness does not lead to death. And rather, Jesus says that the sickness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And Jesus puts his attention onto Bethany. He tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And we get this foreshadowing in verse 11 of chapter 11 to the passage that we approach this morning. And Jesus' purpose, he says in verse 14, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And in the sovereignty of God, Jesus had far bigger plans than healing Lazarus of a physical illness. He was interested more in showing his power over something bigger than sickness, his power over death. And as he approaches the tomb, he weeps. And last week, we looked at the humanity of Christ that, that he, he felt with his friends who had lost their brother 
He felt the pain of loss. He mourned the reality of sin and death. He felt the righteous anger toward the presence of sin and death. And today we get to look at the climax of this story. But in reality, it's not really the, the end. It's more of, of a beginning of, of what's to come. This week we see the end of this particular story, the climax, but it's a hint, a foretaste of the power Jesus will display after he enters Jerusalem. In this passage this morning, John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44, we see the serpent getting this initial picture of what it will look like for his head to be crushed. So if you have your Bible this morning, if you'll stand, let's read John chapter 11, beginning in verse 38, all the way to 44. Remind you that this is God's word. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's the perfect word of God, the only standard that we have to stand upon, and it says this. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we approach this text, this beautiful passage of scripture that is this beautiful picture of your work in bringing us from death to life, your glorious grace and your power and your glory on display. God, this morning we pray that you would convict us, that you would comfort us in this truth, and that you would challenge us to walk in obedience and repentance toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you have a seat this morning, uh, we, we typically have a sermon in a sentence, and my sermon in a sentence this morning is that Jesus displays his power in bringing dead men to life so that people will see his glory and believe that he is the one sent from God. It's a mouthful, so I'm going to try that again. Jesus displays his power in bringing dead men to life so that men might see his glory and believe that he is the one sent from God. And as we jump in this morning, we see something familiar in verse 38. We see it says that Jesus was deeply moved Again, and as we looked last week, we saw that Jesus was deeply moved uh, at the sight of Mary and Martha mourning the loss of their brother. And this word here is so interesting when it says that he was deeply moved. It harkens back to this image of a horse snorting, an angry horse snorting. And, and you get this image in your head of this, of this feeling of frustration, this feeling of, of pain, of of sadness, and he approaches the tomb and once more feels the weight, the weight of sin and death. He has the righteous indignation towards sin and its effects, namely the death of his friend, and he has this tension 
He feels the tension of the realities. This already, he's here, and yet this not yet. And he mourns the separation from his friend and experiences the pain of family, the pain of his friend's family. And I think this serves as a reminder to us as we gather around God's word, and it's, it's that we, we are often tempted to think that Jesus is far away from us, that he's, he's in the clouds, separated from the pain and the loss that we feel, that he, is, he somehow cares for our holiness, and that means that he can't care for our despair. But looking at these words, and as we read them, that he was deeply moved, shows that in caring for our holiness, he cares for us in our despair. That he is present, that he sympathizes with us, that he is, he is our brother, like we talked about last week. But not only that, if you see in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. When I first read these words this week, this, this image of Jesus walking up to a tomb that's a cave with a stone against it, just made me stop. That Jesus approaches a tomb that would no doubt be a reminder of the tomb that he would borrow for three days after dying on a cross. Imagine the thoughts that were going through his mind as he looks at the stone, and then he says in verse 39, take away the stone. But Martha has this interesting response. Martha, if you'll remember, is the one in verse 27 who said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who is coming into the world. She believed that, that God had revealed Christ as the one sent from him, that she, she has connected these works of Christ to the person of Christ. She is claiming that because of who Christ is, he has the power to bring the dead to life. She believes this. We know this from verse 27. She understands this, and yet she says in verse 39, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days. So we have this tension, this miraculous claim that she has made in verse 27 that I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. And then in verse 39 to say, but Lord, it's been four days. I think often we expect people who have these experiences with Christ, who've been made alive in Christ, even ourselves. We expect ourselves and the people around us, the people we disciple, that after our conversion experience, that, that sanctification just happens automatically, right? That is just, we, we expect for people to get there sooner than they do. And so some people might look at Martha and say, apparently she doesn't get it. But if you look at Martha in the despair of the moment, her her brother separated from her by physical death. And she says, Lord, he's been gone for four days. She, she has this, this moment of doubt. Martha's experienced Christ. She obviously believes. And yet, in the despair of this moment, she doubts. But Christ shows grace to her. He shows grace to her in verse 40 when he says, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. But Martha's words bring us to a deeper truth, and it's that Lazarus has been dead for only four days, and it says that 
by this time, he will already begin to stink. He's already begun to decay. The power of death is quick, and it's all-encompassing. It wasn't just parts of Lazarus that had begun to decay. He, he had been in this grave for four days, and he had been rotting and decaying. Death is quick. It's all-consuming. It was not just part of him, but all of him. And physical death is a shadow of the spiritual death that we're all born into. That in our natural state, apart from Christ, we're completely and utterly affected by the power of sin and death. That's why Ephesians 2.1 says that you are dead in the trespasses and sins. That it's, it's not something that just encompasses part of us, but, but death is quick and full. It's all-consuming. And in our sin, we are completely dead. Apart from Christ, we have no life in us. And then Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is by raising Lazarus from the dead, revealing the glory of God. And it's appropriate here for us to stop and ask the question, well, why are we in this situation? We're tempted to ask if Jesus was going to raise Lazarus anyway, if the, if the final end is life, then why not just speak the word when he hears he's sick and let him live to begin with? If Jesus' plan is for Lazarus to live a long life on earth, then why not heal him from afar instead of letting him die and then coming and raising him from the dead? And I think the answer is because it's often in our darkest moments where we see and experience the love and the care of God most clearly. That in his sovereignty, God sees fit for us to endure suffering so that his glory will be more apparent in our lives. The reality that suffering in our lives is glorious grace from God, that it's a gift. And though it's difficult for us in our suffering, in our difficulty to look to Christ in the midst of our despair, it is necessary because Christ is revealing his glory in our difficulty. One commentator said, Jesus is doing things we can never grasp. He's God. He's got purposes far beyond what we can even imagine. We don't know all Jesus is doing, but we should never doubt his love for us, his desire for us to experience his glory, and his call for us to trust him. Martha trusted Christ, but even in this moment, she did not have an idea of all that he was doing. She didn't she couldn't see. And just like that, in our difficulty, we can't see all that Christ is doing. And in our pain, in the moment of our pain, we can't see the work that he is, has already planned. And in the midst of our despair, it's necessary for us to look to Christ. But Jesus sets up this contrast here. If you go back to verse 37, which we studied last week, it says, but some of them said, and these are the people that are standing around, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They say, if Jesus has all this power, then why didn't he just keep him alive? They don't seem to get it, but Martha seems to hear this contrast that Martha seems to understand that he can bring Lazarus to life. 
And this is an ever-growing distinction. If you look at verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. There are people, this divide, this building of, of, of people who are believing and, and understanding and then people who aren't. D.A. Carson calls this giving of glory from Christ's self-disclosure, that Jesus is showing his nature, that he's communicating through what he is doing, that he is the Christ, that he's letting the people around him see who he is. Then we get to verse 41. And Jesus offers a prayer up to the Father. It says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays to the Father. And he prays to the Father to display for the people standing around that he is the Christ. That's thanksgiving for prayers that the Father had already heard. But I want you to notice the communion here among the Trinity. You see this in verse 41 where he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. We have the Father here hearing the prayers of the Son. The Father providing, the Son executing this action of bringing Lazarus to life in the Spirit, enabling people to believe. And we just see this this beauty here of the, the Trinity in action. And we see the purpose is that they may believe. We have an example in Christ of, of our Lord who, who longs for people to believe, who, who agonizes for people to believe, who is, who is loving people, longing for people to come to himself. We have this picture of a Christ who has sacrificed his own, he's, he's given his life. And for us, in our lives, we, we see like this is the example that he is, he is doing things so that people will believe. So they, they may believe that you sent me in our lives. We, we live our lives so that others will see that Christ in us is life. Verse 43 is, is where we get this high point in this passage. It says, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Christ proves his power. He proves his power by commanding the dead to live. He proves his power by showing us that the Lazarus sickness really did not lead to death, neither in the spiritual sense or truly in the physical sense. That there, there are power in the words, there's power in the words of Christ. And this is the voice. This is the same voice that, that caused creation. It's the same voice that spoke creation into motion. And by the power of his word caused life to begin on earth. This is the voice that called Abram out and set him apart. The voice that spoke deliverance through a burning bush. And it's the same God who spoke through the prophets and the kings. And it's the same voice in the book of John who caused the winds and the waves to cease. It's the the same voice that caused the sick and the lame and the diseased to be healed. And in this moment, it is the voice 
of Christ. When he raises his voice and says, Lazarus, come out, it's that voice that causes a man who is dead to come out of his grave. A man who's been dead for four days to come out of his grave. And it's the same voice, the same power that has called us to life. Because this voice is the voice that spoke to us and brought our dead souls to life. It's the voice that awakened us from our dead sleep. The words of Christ are the only words that can bring dead men to life. And what we see in this passage, this beautiful thing, is that Lazarus could do nothing to bring himself out. There was, there was nothing that Lazarus had in his power to raise himself, and Jesus is the one who has to say, Lazarus, come forth, come out. And we ponder the power of the word and the voice of Christ, that there is none other like him in power. And when he speaks, the dead leave their graves. He spoke and Lazarus came out. How dare we think that the people that we are pleading for, he can't do that for them. How dare we think that, that those that we lift up in prayer, that those that we cry tears over, that he can't do that for them. In him is the power to bring the dead to life. Verse 44 is so powerful because when he says, Lazarus, come out, it actually happens. When, when he says, Lazarus, come out of the grave, Lazarus actually comes and, and gets out of the grave. I think of as a kid when I would go into Walmart or Target and I would have I would walk up to the door and I, I would pretend like I had the force, like Star Wars. I would move my hand and the doors would all, all automatically open, right? Except for one day when the door was broken. And I moved my hand and like, it didn't happen. The door didn't open. And in this moment, right, like this tension, this is the climax of the story where Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And this, this is the proving ground, right? If, if Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and the grave is is not moving, nothing's happening, then this is proof that, that this guy's crazy. He's not actually who he says he is. And yet, he says, Lazarus, come out. And it says, verse 44, the man who had died came out. The glory of God is on display because a dead man has been made alive. This dead man exited his tomb. Jesus in death fought, and Jesus got the final word. And I want us for a second here to, to stop here and, and to take off our familiar biblical glasses. Like we know the story of Lazarus, and we say, yeah, Lazarus, he's the guy who rose from the dead. But can we stop and, and just say that this is not normal? Right? Like this is not, people don't go to their graves and then walk out of them, except for the power of Christ. We've grown accustomed to this story, and as a result, I'm afraid we've lost some of its power. That a man was dead. He was rotting in his grave. As Spurgeon said, he, his body was a carnival for worms. And this is not some magic power that brought him back. He didn't miraculously just wake up. This is the power of the one true God, by his voice, by his word, calling this man to life. And when Jesus told his disciples in verse 4, 
that the sickness would not lead to death. He was not exaggerating. He wasn't speaking without knowledge. He wasn't bragging. He meant it. He meant it that Lazarus in Christ first would never truly die spiritually, but also that he, he meant because the death, this physical death, was not the end of Lazarus' story. It takes us back to John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 that says, An hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear the voice of God and come out. It brings us forward to the resurrection of Christ. This is just a picture It's this initial picture for for the serpent of of this picture of his his head being crushed by the the foot of the seed of woman. That the hour has come. That those in their tombs are hearing his voice and coming out. And that that will be made full. It's just this shadow of what's to come. But it's not too much longer. It's a foretaste. The man who had died came out. But verse 44 keeps going. It says, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let it go. I want you to see where the the focus remains. Notice that the last phrase of the story is unbind him and let him go. I don't think that this is the way that maybe we would have thought to tell the story. In our age of social media and viral videos, we we would seemingly want to see Lazarus' reaction. What What does he feel? How is he processing this? What has he said to his sisters? We want to know what he did and where he went and how he felt, yet God in his providence does not see fit to give us any of those things. And the reality is it's because this story is not even about Lazarus. This is a story about Christ and his power and his glory. And the implication here for us is that the the grace of God in all of our lives is given for the glory of Christ. That the grace that we experience in our lives is, is, is pushing us toward the glory of Christ. It's not for our own glory. It's not for our own fame, but it's for Christ. And in this moment, Jesus gave Lazarus new life. And by his death and resurrection, he has done the same for us. The power that Jesus put on on display to bring a rotting dead Lazarus to life is the same power that brought us dead, lifeless in our sin, to saving faith in Christ by his grace. And it's the same power that lives in us now in which he sustains us and enables us to obey him. 1 Corinthians 15 is a beautiful passage, but near the end, in verse 54, it says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus made that for us. The power of Christ calls us to come to life, but the power of Christ sustains us in the Christian life as we seek to obey Christ and to repent of our sin and to trust Christ daily as we live and walk on this earth. But I want you to notice the last words here in John eleven forty four, where it says, unbind him and let us go. And I think all of us can be convinced that Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is a picture of him raising us to, to new eternal spiritual life. That Jesus raising this man who had been literally physically dead for four days to new life, that, that this is a picture of him raising us to new life. And, and as we look here when it says unbind him and let him go, then we, we say Lazarus was unwrapped from his grave clothes. They were, he was taken, his grave clothes were taken off And he lived his physical life thereafter. Well, in Christ, we have been unwrapped of of the death. We've been set free from death so that we can obey Christ. Romans 6, right? That we're dead to sin and we no longer live in it. We've been made alive in Christ. In Romans 7, we read this morning that we are set free and that we belong to another. We are set free so that we can obey another. That in Christ, this power that raised Lazarus from the dead, this power that brought us to life from our sin, is the same power that that bids us to obey. The same power that enables us to obey, that enables us to repent, that enables us to live the Christian life trusting Christ. So this morning, as we look at Lazarus raising from the dead, we are comforted and, and encouraged by the fact that he raised us from the dead. But then we're challenged as well. We're challenged to say, it is by that power, the power that raised Lazarus from the dead is the power that lives in me so that I can obey Christ. Repentance, therefore, is is something normal in the Christian life. It's, it's It's our way of life. This voice that says, Lazarus, come out is the same voice that says, follow me. Is the same voice that calls us to obedience. As we close this morning, I want to go back to Spurgeon's sermon because he closed his sermon on that Easter Sunday saying this, quote, And now, dear friends, I must close by asking you this question. Have you been quickened? And I must warn you that good or bad or indifferent, if you have never been quickened, you are dead in your sins and must be cast away at the last. I must bid you, however, who have gone the furthest into sin, not to despair. Christ can quicken you as well as the best. And this morning, if you have walked into this building and you find yourself dead in your sins, separated from Christ. Do not leave without crying out for the mercy of Christ, for this new life that he gave Lazarus, for this new life we have in him. And this morning, for those of us with this new life, be reminded of this, that in Christ, 
we have been given the same power that he rose Lazarus from the dead with, this power to believe, power to obey, power to follow, power to preach this gospel. We can do that because he has raised us to life, and therefore we ought to be faithful to the work at hand.